0: All right, guys. Welcome back to podcast number 12. This is going to be a really good one. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'm Larry from Ammonyc.com, and uh, we're talking with Jason Rose from Maguire's. Thanks for being here, Jason.
1: Hey, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: No, this is uh, this is exciting. We got back from SEMA, and there's just – SEMA is so big and so huge. We did a podcast there. I just I uh, posted up a video. Hopefully, hopefully you've seen it, Jason. Uh, but uh we we did a review of sema and it it was just insane and it was uh it was great to see you out there did you have a you have a good time
1: oh it's uh it's always fun sema is like something we you know look forward to all year and then when it when it gets there we uh it's kind of a love hate thing you love it and then uh, you hate the whole brutal schedule
0: <laughs> oh for sure it, you know the saying is uh five days in vegas is five days too long kind of thing so <laughs> when you get back you're you're pretty toasted but on normal uh, podcasts, and I think uh, you know a lot of the fans are getting used to it, which is, is great, is we come on and I usually do my sort of rant and raves and what happened this week and how I was driving my 964. I kind of loosen them up a little bit and then we get into a hardcore topic like, I don't know, headlight restoration or something along those lines. Then I interview a guest. Today, we're going to do something a little bit special because uh, to have you on the on the line here is, is pretty special and I want to make sure that we use the entire time. So I'm going to I'm going to pull you in for everything, and then I'm going to have you answer some Facebook questions, and we're going to go over a bunch of different topics. You cool with that?
1: Oh, sounds like fun. Thanks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no worries. Um, all right, so when we met at SEMA, you were uh, nice enough to sit and chat with me for a little bit and and help guide me and, and uh, direct me in the right uh, right direction, but you mentioned that you, you had this, every year, I guess you said you have a secret polishing session, or you didn't, or you do, or d- tell me a little bit more about uh, this year and what you did.
1: Well, I, I've been going to the SEMA show for 18 years, um, never missed one. And, uh, every single time without exception, I have some sort of opportunity to get on a car and polish, uh, something that's on the, on the showroom floor or on the trade show floor. Um, and it's usually, you know, a wide variety of types of vehicles and, uh, and there's many different reasons I get sucked into doing this stuff, and uh, it usually involves many hours of polishing after the trade show hours, you know. So everybody's gone from the trade show floor, but I'm sitting in somebody's booth polishing something. Yeah. Um, and it, it it's something that, you know, uh, like I said, there's many different reasons that it happens, but... Um, it happens every year, and sometimes it happens twice where, you know, I get on two different vehicles in the same week. Um, but it has become a tradition that uh, I not only look forward to, but um, if if it ever not happened, I would be really bummed. I'm sure. Uh, what was this year's project? Well, this one, and it was looking like this year, uh, like it wasn't going to happen, but we got two days into SEMA, um, which is usually late. Uh, to figure out if I'm going to be polishing on something, it usually happens the day before the trade show hours or the the first day. Um, but two days into the show, uh, and I got to give a shout out to uh, you know two other detailers, um, Kevin Brown and um, Derek Bemis, um, who were both working uh, at the Ford booth you know, polishing their cars and I making. still want
0: to meet those guys. I haven't met them. I'm I'm like searching around. I'm trying to find Kevin Brown. He's he's uh you know sort of a legend in the uh
1: Absolutely. He, yeah, he's the man top notch um quality, you know, detailer but as well you know, a great guy and so is Derek. They're just super people, but they're very, very skilled detailers. And because of their connections at SEMA, uh this particular car, which was a just absolutely beautiful uh, nineteen forty one old uh, with a beautiful uh, candy apple red uh, paint job, and it was in the House of Color booth. So, um, you know, naturally had House of Color paint on it, uh, but they, they got two days into the show and decided that the sanding marks that they discovered on the paint job, uh, they did, were unsightly, and they just wanted those repaired immediately because, you know, House of Color is a premium paint brand, and, you know, they wanted that car looking great. No, totally. So, uh, yeah, we jumped in it and uh, you know started after hours, and you know I think we finished around eleven p.m. the three of us, and uh, it was an awesome experience. And uh, the car looked beautiful. I have pictures, you know, posted up. I saw I saw them on Facebook. It was pretty wild to
0: have you know probably three or four of the world's top detailers like going crazy on this car in the middle of the night
1: at SEMA. That's kind of yeah. kind of a special event. <laughs> Well, All right, we, so were, before we, we were thinking ahead. that it should have been covered by somebody. Somebody should have videotaped it. And I just, know. I wish you
0: would have called me. I'm, I was dying for content. That could have been <laughs> in the video next year, next year for sure. But yeah. before we get too into it, I wanted to uh, tell me a little bit about the role, You know, the, your role at uh, Maguire's and actually your official title, if you will, just to give a little bit more background um, for people that may not um, – you know, watch you and, and listen to you every day on Facebook sure. and all the things that you do. <laughs>
1: sure. Yeah. I, well, my official title with McGuire's is a uh, global technical services and training manager. Mm. And uh, the scope of my job covers a professional side of our business for automotive and marine products. Uh, you know, so all the retail items that you see on the, in the retail stores, I don't, I don't deal very much with those. Um, although our professional technology and our products tends to migrate over to the, the retail products. Um, but that's, that's what I do. And it basically is two, two major activities. So um, I'm a global trainer. Uh, so a lot of our professional training programs are you know content and curriculum that I write. And then, and then we actually train the trainer uh, programs all over the world. Uh, and then the other part of my job is product development, which is very exciting. Uh and part of our product development team and uh, all the new products that you see coming out of McGuire's on the pro side, I you know, get involved with the development of those.
0: Yeah. So at SEMA, uh, when I when I saw you you had, you know, different classrooms and what have you and people in there and you were training, you know, was was it different topics for world global kind I, what yeah. what were you doing? You had lots of people there and, you know, it seemed like uh we're doing yes, a lot of training so, from different yeah, right.
1: yeah, and that's why, you know, and I apologize to you because we only got to spend a few minutes. But the reason that was is because of my schedule. And we tried something new this year at SEMA because our global international partners from all over the world um, come into SEMA. And um, we had, a, you know, over 100, so like 120 partners that were there. So we took the opportunity to make them a captive audience and pull them into a training room, and we went over nine very important topics to our professional business, um, and cycled them through, you know that that classroom that you and I met in. Um, mm-hmm. So we that was train the trainer stuff. So the the audience for me at that time were, were the McGuire's trainers in different parts of the world. So we, it's unbelievable that uh,
0: uh, you guys you guys really bounce around you're you were telling me you're you've been to like x amount of countries right you've been to like 20 countries or bouncing around to asia and, and australia or what i can't remember what you were saying but yeah um, certainly train a lot of people around the world so that's pretty exciting
1: i've been very blessed i mean as, as a detailer it's like the dream job for for a detailer i i get to uh explore other countries and and the whole detailing processes in other parts of the world it's fascinating it's totally cool I think uh,
0: you know, with that background, uh, in my I'm going to throw the first question out at you because a lot of people who listen to the podcast are um, either weekend warriors or detailers, or even more specifically for this particular question, guys that are thinking about getting into the industry. Hey, you know, I want to do this. I have this passion. I want to have some freedom. I want to work for myself. All you know, all these emotions sort of rolled into one. And a lot of times, I get a question. Um, it's a bit of a broad question, but um, it's about getting into the detailing business and sometimes it's so hard uh, and maybe I'm the one sort of standing on the on the chair you know yelling out saying uh, or, or the soapbox hey you need to do this this and this and I say hey this is, this is a perfect time for somebody who has who's forgotten more about detailing than I'll ever know is you and I figured this would be a good good uh, you know pulpit here to, to kind of talk to the people so basically what I'm saying is uh, you know as you know detailing is wildly hot now in terms of per- Profession, Every, you know, everybody wants to do it and they want to do it right. And um, you know, there's a there's things that people should understand before they leap. And I wanted to get your feedback because I know a lot of people will be jacking up the uh, the volume on their podcast right now, going, "Okay, what what does the expert from Meguiar's, What what should I know? Top level or high level thinking before I might get into the business?"
1: Yeah, um, it's a great question, and uh, I do have a lot to say about that. I'll. Try and be, uh, you know, concise so I don't take up your whole podcast. No, no, they, they're dying to hear all this stuff. So it's good. Go, go to town on it. Well, um, first, I want to say that I had a, a mobile detailing business for 12 years. So my comments come from the perspective of, you know, someone who's been there, done that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, I've gone through all the wrong things to do and figured out. Some better ways to do it, and so I've I've had uh, not only a long career in the whole uh, detailing universe, but um, I operated a business for 12 years, so I know I know the I know the gig. So I do have some some things to say about this. Looking back on not only my uh, background in detailing, but also I am fortunate to engage and have relationships with some of the best detailers in the world and I get to hear their stories. So the first thing I would say is if if you are thinking about getting into this or you just got into it, um there are some definite lessons learned from detailers that have been before you that uh we can share share with you now and hopefully uh and the and the interest here is that you know hopefully you won't make the mistakes that I made. Um and you won't go through the pain that I've gone through and some other detailers have gone through. Uh because you can get from A to B, meaning, you know, A is a start, B is you're a successful detailer, you have a successful business, you can get from A to B a lot faster than I did it with a lot less pain. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is if you have capital and you have money, uh hopefully you do, uh, because any business requires capital to start. Um Uh, But if you have some money to start your business, my suggestion is that you put it in your brain bucket first. (laughs) So instead of buying equipment and tools and products and supplies and all that, uh, put the money into your brain. And the message here is get some professional training. And uh, there are lots of really good programs available now that were not available when I started. Um, so you do have great resources to get some, some, uh, detailing training. And you know what, when you're
0: doing that, that's why I think this advice is so great when you're doing it, uh, and you're going through the training and let's say you set aside play money of a couple thousand dollars, you know, however much it costs a couple thousand bucks, right? You get in there, you may figure out you don't like the business and that's not a bad thing. I think it's worse to go a year and then realize, Hey, I made a bad decision. And I try to, when no. I talk to people, I say, Hey, is this the... Figure out if this is something you want to do. It's not like wrong or right. I I was on Wall Street before, you know, and I had this amazing whatever. And I said, hey, this is, just is not for me. And it, oh, this is an amazing opportunity. I said, but I'm just not built for this anymore. You know, this is not my thing. And I wanted to go that way. So you can actually vice versa. Maybe you want to be a detailer, but maybe Wall Street, you know, it doesn't really matter what the answer is, but I think uh, you're really hitting on something that at least for me resonates a lot. And it's, if you get that training, consider it, uh. Education for if you can, you know, if you want to keep doing detailing, but if not, you found out early, there's no, there's no, uh, shame in that at all, yeah. by the way. No, and it would be, example.
1: and if it costs $2,000 to, to find that out, that is money well that's spent. A, that's a bargain, believe me. Imagine going a full year in insurance
0: and, right. you know, all these things. Anyway, so yes, I, I am. You hit and, me, uh, home there.
1: Go ahead. And to take it a, t- a step further from what you said, because that's that's a great reason to do that training is to figure out, hey, do I really want to do this long term? But the other reason is detailing has become um, diversified. So there's many different types of detailing businesses, and you may find out through your training class that you want to specialize in one of these different types of detailing Um and, and you would never have figured that out or it would have taken a lot longer to figure that out. I think
0: I never actually uh consciously thought of that can I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Can you give me like one or two of them meaning like everybody well, wants to do exotics or somebody or boats or you know that kind of thing
1: Well here there's uh I can think of three main um types of detailing uh, one of them is the type that we already mentioned, so you know I was polishing on a car that was at a SEMA booth. Um, That is what's called exhibition detailing, um, which doesn't mean that you're detailing the car in the nude. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but exhibition detailing or show car detailing is a, a business actually where, where detailers specialize in doing cars that are going to be either on display or they're entered into a competition. So like, Concour preps, you know, for Pebble Beach or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's all exhibition detailing. And uh, there are, you know, detailers that specialize in that. They don't do anything else. That's all they do is uh, show car preps. Um, and then there's wholesale detailing. Uh, this is a type of business where the detailer is contracted with car dealerships uh, and they, you know, do uh, reconditioning uh, for cars that are going to be sold, at, you know, at a car dealer. That's one another type. And there are businesses that are set up just to do that. You know, they don't do anything else. That's a completely
0: different business, by the way. Yeah. I mean, not one isn't right or wrong. I always try to keep hammering that home. It just is what it is. But exhibition versus wholesale is complete. So it oh, yeah. is a completely different business model and strategy and, and whatnot. So I'm I'm actually dying. What's the third one? Is it mobile?
1: It's um well the within mobile um you can actually be mobile and be any of these three different types but the third That's type right. the third type is like preventative maintenance uh retail detailing, and this is where you're detailing cars direct to the consumer or the car owner um and you're you know uh maintaining the the or reconditioning the vehicle for a consumer. And that kind of retail detailing can be experienced at car dealerships or detail shops, um, car washes with detail departments, uh, mobile detailers. You know that that kind of business. I I think you know if I if I look at your business, Larry, I think you would be probably a combination of the uh, retail detailing as well as some exhibition detailing. Is that correct? Yeah yeah you're spot on i've done
0: all three so when i first started i bought you know i you know i worked and worked and i and i bought uh, i saved up and i bought a existing car wash a detail center and revamped it and changed it or whatever and i had i had two things i had number two which was the wholesale detailing and that is i mean i feel like we can probably talk for three hours about wholesale detailing and all the ins and outs and the pluses and minuses yeah uh and then of course i had retail uh where customers would walk in and it was a you know, their personal car kind of thing. So I did that for years afterwards. I sort of, um, cause one of my things I'll, I'll throw in here is for me is accounting and, and knowing that your numbers and if you don't know your numbers and you don't have an accounting set up, like the first money I would spend is, is setting up a CPA and a bookkeeper and I'm just a big numbers guy. If you're not measuring your numbers, you have no idea if you're profitable, then you're, you, you just created a job. You haven't created a, uh, you know, a okay. lifestyle or sure. a business. Exactly. So, uh, as I became, you know, as I, you know, got a little bit more business acumen and, and moved up the ranks, if you will. Um, then I started to focus more on exhibition for, for many years and did some Pebble Beach things and worked for Bugatti and all these crazy, you know, Koenigsegg and Pagani or whatever, uh, which is very exciting. But again, that's also a different business model and not necessarily the most profitable. I know people think it's uh, the sexiest. I'm using air quotes for that because it's a very sexy car and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't Im- immediately say it's the most profitable. Again, everything varies because uh, I'm. I'm. I'm asking. I'm actually answering questions that I feel like I'm getting in, uh, through email right now, but through the podcast. Yeah. So um, I know it's very <laughs> exciting to do sexy cars, but it's it's not always the most profitable. I'll, I'll yeah. leave it at that.
1: No, you're right okay. on about that, and it's it seems to be something that a lot of. Um, uh, newbies, or you know, detailers new to the business, they they aspire to get to that level because it's hey, fun. Got, it's it's awesome. Yeah. It's they're it's <laughs> awesome, but it may not be the most profitable.
0: And I don't know how to say that to people all the time. You know what I mean? I don't I don't want to well, take that also, wind.
1: I mean, it's a, it's not as profitable as some people think it is, and it, and True. it can it can be very profitable. But all, here also. here's the reality of it: is if you look at the opportunity, is how many customers exist you know that you can connect with that have that level of exotic cars and and are willing to pay you know huge dollars to have their car detailed now they're out there uh, and some of the detailers i know are tapped into that crowd yeah Um, but when you think of the whole business opportunity as a whole um, where's the real money and where's the low-lying fruit it's not those guys it is absolutely. We are on the exact same page.
0: I cannot. Uh, this is this is when I start getting crazy excited because this is. I I keep telling people. You know what's the best money maker? And and I when I'm doing my you know my little seminars or whatever, I say. You know what the best money maker is? The one with the kid who vomited in the back seat. I'm sorry, yeah. we're being vulgar or whatever, but it, <laughs> that's that's where you make the most money. I felt like because what are you not going to clean that up? Like you you have to. Yeah. So um, and a lot of times. I try to describe to people because a lot of my videos have nicer cars because obviously that lends itself to, to you know beauty and, and camera and all that kind of thing. But uh, as you rise up and, and, and you know go through the years and become established and become uh, you know, trusted enough to work on these cars, I feel like you first hit a plateau, and that first plateau is you know Lamborghini's and the Ferraris or whatever, and the guy owns one or two of these cars and he wants to bring it in, have it done and bring it out. nine times out of ten, and I'm not speaking about everybody. But to to get those cars, you're not a, usually a, a goofy guy. You're usually pretty good about money and knowing how to move things around. So they're not just going to willy nilly spend tons of money on it. They're not like that. But as you go up the next level where the the collections start to begin, and that I started getting into the collection phase uh, maybe four or five years ago, where owners then have 150 cars, then then you start getting yeah, into right. this the sexy thing that everybody reads about in the magazines. So I, I don't know how to say that the right way, but you follow my logic as the, yeah. then it becomes profitable. Then, then you're on retainer. Then you're, you know, it's like painting a bridge, you know, you start at one end and by the time you get down to the other one, you start all over again. Start all kind over of thing. Then, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know that that's just the, that's just the, the truth right there.
1: Yeah. I have some great stories. I don't know if we get into them now, but when I was detailing, I had that same, um, aspiration to, you know, detail some exotic car and, and um, in fact, I had a particular benchmark goal um and this was back in the nineteen eighties when I started so I had this goal If I got paid a thousand dollars to detail a car, mm-hmm. then I figured I had arrived you know <laughs> I figured for sure if somebody would money. pay me a grand to detail a car, then I must be pretty good that That's the thinking um. So I set about trying to make that happen, and it's very odd the whole. And I won't get into the whole course of events, but I did eventually get paid over a thousand dollars to detail a vehicle. Now I had imagined it would be some exotic, you know, sexy car, as you as you describe it, mm-hmm. um, but that's not what happened. <laughs> what was it? What it was was I. I got contacted by Dupont, um, and they had a vehicle that was manufactured and painted and delivered to the customer um and the customer was not happy with the paint so it was a very large very expensive vehicle and to have it go back into the paint booth would have cost almost $300,000 oh my gosh so you yeah. are a bargain so I'm I'll tell you what the vehicle is in a second here but so I was called in after two other detailers tried to polish this paint and did not successfully satisfy the customer. So, um Kevin Brown and I were called in uh to do this vehicle and we spent 3 days on it. And we were paid almost $3,000. Hopefully Kevin's okay with me saying that. But we uh, uh, and this is 1980 money by the way. This this was uh this was in the early 1990s okay so it's 91 yeah so yeah but it was it was more money than i had ever gotten paid to do a car and uh, you know and it satisfied my goal of over a thousand dollars but it was not a sexy you know exotic car what it was was a fire truck get the heck out of here (laughs) it was a fire truck so i mean it's it's interesting when you have goals like that um you know, it may not always turn out exactly the way you imagine, but um, it was it was very gratifying for me to actually experience that, uh, and then get that money because then I thought I had arrived, which leads me to um, the money part of this. Another, uh, you know, I guess words of wisdom I can pass on to to new people in the business is a lot of people start washing cars, uh, which is the way I did. And I got to say, everywhere, every everybody I talk to and everybody that I see doing this, um, there really is not a satisfying business washing cars. So it's not very profitable. And if that's the only service you offer, um, it's going to be a hard road to hoe. I mean you're going to have a hard time. Phys- physically and I and I I
0: I can't, I'm not even interviewing any you anymore. I'm just learn I'm just like <laughs> I've almost thrown my notes away. I'm like oh forget about the interview. I I'm more interested in what you have to say right now. Um but yeah and I, and I I'll add to that physically uh, in in the wash world like that physically meaning your body and your knees and your joints uh, I think take a much more of a beating because there's a, a higher you got to constantly Turn the cars out, it's turn and burn kind of thing, and you got to get them out there to quote unquote make a profit. Right. So, in my business, I, uh, that's funny you say this. This is so funny. Uh, I I came to that same conclusion, which is making me feel pretty good. I said, I I can't be in the wash business. So, I I basically doubled my prices, um, to try to, and this is part of uh, the seminar thing I'm doing, you know, sort of picking the clients. Some clients are just not right for you, and I keep telling people, profit is not a bad thing. I love Apple products because I just love Apple products. I want them to be successful. I want them to make money because they're going to come out and make something even cooler and keep doing all these amazing things. So I feel like when a company is like that, I want, I, I'm not trying to drive the price down on the guy. I want the guy to make money. I want him to live. I, I don't, I, you know, don't want to get you know, uh, gypped or whatever, but I want a fair price and I want a great service kind of thing. But I, I don't. So um, I think sometimes, I guess what my point is, when, when guys get really excited about detailing and they email me and they call me, it's. I want them to understand that at the end of the day, you do have to bring home some the evil word profit so that you can provide for your family and then exist the next day. Right. And sometimes uh, the flashy things like the exotic cars uh, in the beginning may not get you to that end goal. Am, right. You, you. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Did you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I what you're saying really resonates with me. So when you so you. So continue. You first started wash the cars, and then you sort of changed yeah. your. So model. I
1: mean, I I realized that it, you know wasn't wasn't making the kind of money I need to, uh, you know, to put food on the table and cover the expenses and to meet meet my goals, which was you know way beyond washing cars. So um, I would suggest that people starting out, uh, you do need to master that sort of activity of of washing the car. You need to know what that's all about and do it right, but. Mm-hmm. don't make a business out of it no
0: absolutely no. not I, t- I think i took you off your track did you have a number two i mean that was a long number one because i
1: got excited but yeah <laughs> yeah you have for a number sure. two i do have two other points um the the other one is a kind of a trap that i see so many detailers getting into including myself so i gotta put myself in that bucket and that is we we have this uh, goal of trying to get 100% defect removal on every car yes. We touch. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> this is exactly. I I'm thinking. Okay. Sorry, I'm interrupting my own guest because I get excited about. It.
0: Continue. Uh, yeah, you're you're so, preaching. You're preaching to the choir. here. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of this um, disease that we all seem to get, or a lot of people get, and uh, mm-hmm. the the reality of it is um, that consumers. Uh, First of all, they don't have the eye for 100% defect removal that we do. So even if you accomplish that on a a customer's car, there's a very good likelihood that they will not notice the difference between 75% defect removal and 100%. I'm so with you. It's not even fine. Continue. (laughs) And then the other more important part of it is that to accomplish 100% defect removal, uh, I think it's very, very easy on most cars to get to 75%. Mm-hmm. But, you know, getting to 90% uh, is another level. But the last 10 to 5% of defect removal can take hours. And a lot of detailers, you know, strive to do this. Uh, and, you know, you can literally spend a lot, a lot of time getting every single little defect out of the paint. And then the question becomes, are you being paid for what you're delivering? And in most cases, uh, detailers are not. They're, I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Prod- I totally agree. <laughs> that last 10%
0: is what makes our. you have to get that last 10% is usually five times more expensive than the 75%. And, and I try to, I almost feel like you're reading off my notes or something. That That's, exa- <laughs> that's exactly the, the thing that I, I I get up in front and I start shaking saying, you're right. That's 75% here. You know, you can do these steps and be profitable, but if you can do, a, 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 I, I, in my opinion, I always say you can't do 100%, uh, and I say you always get a 99%, and I leave the 1% to the uh, car gods. I, I'm joking, yeah. but in my mind, I, I just, you're never satisfied, and that's part of the OCD of being a detailer, but from 75 to 99, that percentage getting there, that's the 20 years in the business, that's being... Uh, uh, that's that's like a week's worth of work in some cases, you know. De- depends yeah. on how hard the pain is, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, your point of them trying to achieve that, but charging for the seventy five percent, that's what puts people out of business, in my yeah. opinion.
1: Yeah, and it drives detailers crazy too, because uh, what happens is, from an emotional perspective, is you you spent all this time and effort, and you're personally satisfied because. You know, your sweat equity is in this car. You made this paint look beautiful. It's defect-free. It's the it's absolute best that it can possibly be, in your opinion. And you're the one that got it there. So you're proud of yourself. Uh, but then you're holding this check in your hands or the, you know, credit card receipt. And you're disappointed because, you know, it, it's not enough for what you did. And... Uh, yeah. I'm not. I had actually a detailer challenge me after I was. I made this point uh, in front of an audience at a trade show, and he pulled me aside and he said, "You know, why are you against um, detailers? You know, going for perfection?" And I, I said, "I'm absolutely not against that. I'm, I am all for it. In fact, that kind of a detail where you go for 100% defect removal, I love doing those kinds of details. All I'm saying." is get paid for it exactly exactly (laughs) well well
0: oh my god well put that's that's exactly i'm gonna do a shameless plug here i have a video coming out in the next couple of days where uh probably three four days ago um i did a 550 marinello for uh for a new customer he's a neighbor of another one of my customers that has multiple f40s and blah 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 lots of really nice cars and for him for the f40 guy i show up it doesn't matter. It, he just wants it perfect, and he pays for perfect. And I'm okay with that. And it, it's inside garage. And a lot of my videos, the the million dollar restoration uh, Ferrari thing, I, it, it is what it is. His next door neighbor put constraints on the car, and that's okay. And he said, "I'm only willing to spend this much." And uh, you know, I drive it and I like it, but I put it away. I don't. It, he wasn't a car guy. He just was had it. You know, he was a car guy, but it wasn't like in you know, he didn't have 50 cars, and he wasn't insane about every little aspect. So he put constraint on there, and I was going through that same emotional, and I've been doing it forever, but I still go through that emotional, hey, I know the customer wants what he wants, so I'm going to do it because I have a budget of this, and because I love my family, and I, yeah. but I still love detailing, I, I have to stay within these bounds because it's not fair to my wife. It's not fair to my family to stay here all night and do the perfection, which I did when I first started, yeah. and I even say in the video – I don't know if it was right or wrong because maybe it got me to the place that I'm at, but I wanted people to at least think about, uh, you know, in their head, what that issue and not be blind to it. If you you choose to do it, then that's a business decision that you can choose to do and you want 100% perfection, great, and get paid for 75, great. But I think uh, that might be at the detriment to future business going forward. And if I could just get that message out there Everything that I try to do is not make a decision for the people watching or listening or whatever. Say, hey, this is where we've been. This is this is the results. There's my advice. Let's yeah. not take it or leave it, but hopefully it helps you going forward. So the exact thing we're talking about, I tried to capture on film because I felt really bad that it wasn't. And this particular car, the five, it was a blue uh, you know, Marinello uh, GT car, front engine. Um, I just did two quick steps on it, and I actually used the uh, Meguiar's microfiber cutting pad, which we're talking about later. How about that for huh. a plug? Um, <laughs> uh, a microfiber cutting pad and some quick polish. And it was, a, it was a, you know, a quick big bang boom. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't wet sanding. I didn't do multiple, you know, compounds. I, there was still, it wasn't close to perfection. I'll give it to you that way. It was, it was 75, easy percent, maybe 80. Um, but the guy came and saw it and was like freaking out and flipping out. But in the back of my mind, I'm going like, oh my gosh. I feel that, that, uh, that tension between trying to be a perfectionist perfectionist and at the same time hey can i eat tonight and and live to fight another day tomorrow yeah you bring up a great point and a lot of people uh i think a lot of less uh people who don't have quite the business acumen that maybe you do um instantly think detailer it has to be the world's greatest detail um not realizing that uh
1: well, it kind of, it kind of they they so and I've talked to a lot of detailers that have a very difficult time with what we're talking about. So it's um, true, and they feel what they feel like we're saying is, "Hey, I'm going to do you know less than professional work, or I'm going to do you know less than what I'm capable of doing," and um, they're kind of missing the point. That's not exactly. It's that, not what we're saying at all, and to put this into real practical terms for those that, you know, want to translate this concept into everyday business life. Um, Most detailers, if they're smart, if they're talking to a customer and you're getting the buy signals and you realize that this customer is probably going to hire your services, but they have not decided whether they want the full meal deal or, you know, in other words, if they want the middle package or the the tall uh, do everything package which hopefully you have a stratified menu and you're offering that to your customers. But So a lot of detailers would do a test spot to demonstrate to the customer the results, right? Right. Um, Which is very smart. But to take this a step further, I think a great idea, and not mine, it was a detailer that shared this with me, he does two test spots. So this is actually on the customer's car, and this is only in the case where you have strong buy signals that they're actually going to follow through and sign up for your services. Mm-hmm. So you do a test spot that is, hey, this is my two-step process on paint, and this is the result you're going to get from my two-step process, and you do that test spot. Now, here is my four-step process, and the goal here is to go after 100% defect removal, and here's what that looks like. And then here's the price tag for A, and here's the price tag for B. Which one do you want? Yeah, I think that can be summed up as setting expectations.
0: That's like business kind of 101. Yeah. It, you know, not under, not over, right on the spot. And exactly. going, back to, going back to what I said before, if you know your numbers, you'll know what that spot is and what's profitable and what's not for you. Yeah. And like you said, if you do the math, and this is just – you know, your 25, 30 years of doing it and my 15 years of doing combined say, hey, for example, washing a car, we're giving you a little hint here, unless you charge some crazy amount, which is great and you can get it and, and do it fine. But when you're washing a car, our experience is telling us that if you run those numbers, it generally speaking, it, it it's not profitable to, right. to run a hand car wash kind of yeah. thing. So this is, this is, this is a, this is, we should be charging for this podcast. I'm charging this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your what's your third one?
1: Well, the final one uh, that I would say as good advice for people starting on the business is um, to uh, yes, of course, master uh, the you know detail processes on that paint and the interior and you know other parts of the car, but also long term success through economic ebbs and flows um, to really be successful long term. There is a business strategy that really works, and that is to diversify. So offer services that are not only uh, detailing. So there's other things you can do on a car, and and there's lots of detailers that have uh, developed businesses that are diversified where, you know, you get into things like wheel polishing or window tinting or protection films or – you know, protection coatings on the interior and different things like that, that, um, either are extensions of your detail business or they're completely di- diversified automotive services. Like I've even seen one detail business where he gets into uh, minor, uh, maintenance, like uh, oil changes and tire rotations and things like that. Um, and he's very successful at it. So, uh, and there's, also very practical reasons to diversify uh, based on your location and your climate because sometimes there are people in the northeast uh, where in the winter it can be a challenge, you know, detailing cars unless you have the right facility. Totally. I've been mobile my whole life and I've been in the northeast
0: and I'm I'm known to be a crazy person in the cold. I just go out there and do it, but yeah. I tell you, it beats, it beats you up pretty good.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that, that's another bit of advice I think. And the uh, and the economy does ebb and flow. And in the in the, the term of you know my being involved in this business, I've I've been in the booms and I've been in the in the very very uh, tough economic times where you know businesses are falling left and right. Uh, and there are strategies to survive through all that, and there are strategies to even thrive. Through all that. And uh, one of the things that seems to work is to diversify. All
0: right, guys, it's me. I had to hop in here and actually split the podcast into two separate podcasts. My goal was to get it all done uh, and all discussed in 45 minutes, but it didn't happen. And the reason why is because it's my own fault. I kept asking Jason multiple questions because I wasn't even like a podcaster at this point. It was more. Uh, I was just excited to spend time with him and ask him specific questions uh, because I wanted to know the answer. So, uh, what I did is split it into two because there's so much content that I was afraid, you know, maybe people were traveling and couldn't listen to it, or got home and they would forget. It's so important that, uh, you know, I, I just I had to split it into two. So it's a good 45 minutes and another 45 minutes. Um, and in the next episode, you must listen to it's so good. Uh, we talk about codings and he talks specifically about the Asia market, the Europe market. Wh- and how long it's been there and why it's there and the purpose behind it versus the US market and and how Maguire is in, is in fact struggling um but in a good way to figure out how to make it work with the US it isn't just a cookie cutter fit and he talks about what they're thinking about and it's it's really it's it's really amazing to see it sort of behind the curtain and how much thought goes into what Maguire's does so I'm I was pretty uh I was pretty honored that he he said that so uh definitely come back and and, and listen we also uh, touch on the history of the microfiber cutting pad, and specifically McGuire's, and where it came from, and how it actually came to be. What, like, what, what, from one day to the next? Why did somebody come up with that? What was going wrong that required the microfiber uh, cutting pad to be thought of? You know, if it was everything was going great, you would be like, oh, I don't, everything's fine. I don't need to think of something better. But in this case, uh, you know, after that thought uh, from a gentleman, I believe in Canada. Uh, you know, uh, this amazing this amazing cutting pad came out. We also we also chat quickly about steam machines, the pros and cons, and we answer some questions from Facebook. Anyways, uh, come back. It's gonna be uh probably three four days. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put these two uh, relatively close because it's it's such a good conversation. I'm I'm really privileged. Uh, so let me do my quick plugs and uh I'll get out of here and then in two or three days download the next one or part two uh, with Jason Rose from McGuire's. So as always, I want to thank. The Smoking Tire, TST, Matt Farah, my close friend, Hooniverse, my uh, my good buddies over there, Jeff, ShoutEngine.com, which is what this podcast is on. So uh, without him, it's not possible. Please visit Ammonyc.com. Very grateful for that. Drive channel on YouTube and, of course, my YouTube page, Ammonyc.com. Uh, visit me on Facebook. Say hi to my friends Jalopnik uh, on uh, on the internet there. Those guys are, those guys are awesome. They're killing it. Uh, TRG Aston Martin Racing. Got a bunch of ammo logos on there. And we keep their uh, race cars clean. Lime Rock Race Park. And, of course, my friends at Piston Heads in the UK, our fellow Piston Head crazy people, which is uh, uh, a lot of them listening to it. So I appreciate it very much. As always, guys, uh, I will talk to you soon, and I'm uh, very grateful for you listening. And uh, we'll be back in three or four days. It's going to be a quick one just because I want to keep this rolling. It is so good, I promise you. All right, love you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye.